It is Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Let's do it. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Revival in the Old Testament. That's what we're going to focus on today and our Thoroughly Jewish Thursday to start off the broadcast. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. My joy, my honor, my privilege to spend this time together with you. If you have a Jewish-related call of any kind, a Jewish-related question of any kind, something you want to challenge me on, probe me on, differ with me on, give me a call, 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-348-7884. I've got something really interesting to share with you having to do with Hebrew Israelites in the upcoming debate scheduled for March 23rd with the leader of the Sakari group of of Hebrew Israelites. Uh, Eager to to share that with you. It's it's kind of funny. And an interesting little story. Uh, Yeah, it's not exactly Thursday Jewish Thursday, but I want to tell it to you because it ties in with our encouraging you to be healthy, well, etc. So that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with revival in the Old Testament. There are seasons in the Old Testament that are well-known seasons of national repentance and reformation, and books that treat revival will commonly speak of these as revival in the Old Testament. So the revival under Hezekiah, the revival under Josiah, you have a revival under Asa, where the nation would turn back to God where there would be national repentance. And this happens in Judah. You really don't see it in, in northern Israel. You have some movement under Jehu, but you don't have a national revival movement in a full sense like you have under King Asa, King Hezekiah, King Josiah. So there's national repentance. There's turning back to God. There's turning away from idols, from immorality, from injustice. There's rebuilding or repairing of the temple. There's this earnest call for everyone to seek God. And some of the moves had a deeper impact on the nation. Some were more led by the king, and many followed. But with the king dying, the people fell back away. But we point to these as examples of revival in the Old Testament. I want to look at one that's more of a personal revival. And there's a lot that we can learn from it. And this is in Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35. And there we read about Jacob and his family. So here's what it says. Genesis 35, beginning in verse 1, God said to Jacob, Yaakov in Hebrew, Arise, go up to Bethel, Beit El in Hebrew, and remain there and build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Rid yourselves of the alien God in your midst, alien gods in your midst, Purify yourselves and change your clothes. Come, let us go up to Bethel, and I will build an altar there to the God who answered me when I was in distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. They gave to Jacob all the alien gods that they had, the rings that were in their ears, and Jacob burned them under the terebinth that was near Shechem. So here's, here's what's really fascinating. Number one, Jacob encountered God in Bethel. That's why he named it Bethel, Beit El, House of God, in Genesis 28. He was fleeing from Esau, even though he had stolen his brother's uh, blessing for, for being the firstborn. 
and previously conned him out of his birthright. Still, God was with Jacob despite his sin. Now, of course, Jacob pays for his sin dearly and, and has all kinds of deceitful things done back to him. He does reap what he sows. But there's part of him that was very much God-oriented, looking to God, fearing God, loving God, and part that was very carnal. Some of us can relate to that. So Jacob meets with God. He encounters him. You know, angels going up and down the, the staircase or the ladder, encounters them there, names the place Bethel. He says, surely Yahweh is in this place. So now God says, go back there. So let's spiritualize this for a moment. Go back to your first love. Go back to your first encounter. Go back to when you, you first met God and your life was changed. Go back to that place of encounter where suddenly everything changed and all you wanted was God and you turned away from sin. You became very conscious of things in your life. You thought they were fine, but now realize they were displeasing. Go back, implying you're not there now, implying backsliding sit in. We talked yesterday about the church of Ephesus addressed in Revelation 2, how they were orthodox, how they were hardworking, how they had the right doctrines and beliefs and practices, and yet they had left their first love and, and received an extreme rebuke from Yeshua, from Jesus. So, so, <clears throat> same thing here. Go back to that place of encounter. A and then he says to his family, get rid of the foreign gods, the alien gods in your midst. So, first question, how did Jacob allow this to happen? He knew they were there. He didn't say, and if you have any idols. No, he knew they were there. And then how is it that his family is supposed to be fearing Yahweh, God-fearing family, accumulated these things? So it's an indication that backsliding had set in. It's an indication that compromise had set in. It's an indication that things that were displeasing to God became normal, became run-of-the-mill, became par for the course, to use different idioms. So it's just an interesting thing when you encounter God afresh, when God speaks, maybe the word jumps off the pages at you. Maybe you're in the midst of outpouring of the Spirit. You thought everything was good. Everything was cool. God was happy with this and not displeased with this. And then the fire falls, the light shines, the word comes to us. Oh, my God. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm sinning against God. I've been in compromise. I thought this whole thing was fine. A lot, a lot of what we feel is absence of conviction is simply hardness of heart. You know, when, when, when people will say, oh, I, I once heard somebody say they were around all these nude Christians and it was perfectly fine. There was nothing to it whatsoever. And it was just, you know, you have to be carnal to, to think there's anything the matter with it. Well, that's not holiness. That's hardness. That's a person becoming so desensitized to things that should be hidden and covered. You know, j just like people will strut around beaches claiming to be Christians in, in the skimpiest bathing suits, leaving almost nothing to the imagination, just setting themselves up as objects of, of lust and, and people looking at them. And in other words, they're, they're setting themselves up to be gazed at and gawked at, and there's barely anything covered. And they say, oh, no, I'm good with it. God's good with it. No, it's just your heart got hard. You just got used to the thing. You know, you treat your spouse a certain way, nasty and always short and, and, and impatient and yelling and raising your voice and just no control of your temper. It's like, hey, I, life's hard. Don't, don't put me under more pressure. I got enough pressure. Don't judge me. 
And then you encounter God. It's like, oh my, what have I been doing? I've been a wretch. It, it could well be that Isaiah was already involved in prophetic ministry when he had his encounter with God in Isaiah 6. If it was his first encounter, his calling, it's strategically placed in Isaiah 6 to give you the impression that, that he's already been prophesying when this happens. Either way, you don't expect the prophet Isaiah, this man of God, to say, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm undone. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, but I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He could have felt perfectly fine going to the temple into Jerusalem in Jerusalem to worship God. He could have felt perfectly fine. And then he encounters God. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Also, if you think of what happened with King Josiah, uh, he already knew something was wrong. He, he already knew that there was grave sin in Israel, idolatry and temple prostitution and, and other things. He, he knew that. But it wasn't until the word was discovered, whether it's the whole uh, five books of Moses, whether it's part of that or book of Deuteronomy, it's different speculation, we simply do not know for sure. But the curses in Deuteronomy are definitely part of it. He begins reading this and realizes, oh no, it's much worse than I thought. Have you ever had that? You go to the doctor and you know, doc, something's not right. Something's not right. Maybe I strained a muscle here, or maybe I got some kind of fever, or, you know, just something here. Is just, <clears throat> maybe I strep throat. And then doctor says, oh no, actually it's much worse. You have this. That's what happens in times of revival and outpouring. The light shines, and we become aware of the darkness in our soul, the darkness in our lives, the compromise in our lives. And what does that produce? Does that produce condemnation? Only if we run from it. Only if we harden our hearts and run from it. God's purpose in revealing our sin is to draw us to him. God's purpose in revealing our sin is not to push us away, but to get us running to him. In the words of the classic Rock of Ages song by, by Augustus Toplady, Foul, I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. So God comes to Jacob and, and, and says, go back to Bethel. Does God say to him, get rid of the idols? Does God say to him, cleanse yourselves? And what, what, is, what does God actually say, right? It, it just tells him, go back to Bethel, right? Genesis, the 35th chapter, and the first fifth, the first verse. The Lord said to him, get up, go up to Bethel, and, and uh, go back there, and just make an altar there to the God that, that appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Jacob. Just look at the Hebrew. So <laughs> Jacob immediately knew when God said, go back to Bethel, change had to come. It, it, you know, it's, look at it like this. Look at it in a totally physical analogy that you're totally out of shape and you get a call. Hey, your team needs you back. Okay, I got to get in shape. God says, go back. Go back. And, and notice, not only does Jacob realize, okay, we've got to repent. We've got to turn. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you. Go worship him. Go honor him. This is also part of what happens in revival. 
Revival will always bring us back to the temple. Revival will always bring us back to the altar. Revival will always bring us back to a place of worship, adoration. Many great hymns and songs and choruses are written out of times of revival because there's a fresh worship encounter. Go back and worship God. And friends, many of you hear the Spirit saying that to you these very days. Go back. Go back. And as you do, don't feel condemned because you've been away so long. Don't feel hopeless because you become so compromised. Don't feel like it's too late because you wasted too many years. When God's inviting you back, it's not to condemn you, it's to bless you. When he's inviting you back, he's granting you repentance. He's not pushing you away. The devil, your own mind, may lie to you, may condemn you. But when God's calling you back, he's calling you back to bless you, not to curse you. Go back to Bethel. Maybe that's a word for some of you here. Maybe it's a time for personal revival in your life, just like with Jacob and his family. Okay, I'm going to tell you an interesting personal story on the other side of the break right here on the line of fire. Don't go anywhere. We've got an important word from our sponsor, Trivita, standing with us to help blanket the nation with the line of fire message. We will be right back. your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the line of fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. In his presence is fullness of joy. It is thoroughly Jewish Thursday. If you've got a Jewish Related question of any kind, give me a call, 866-348-7884. That is the number to call. Okay, so just a, a quick personal story that, that ties in with a little t- Trivita testimony from my, my prayer warrior friend, Rui, that, that shared that. He just shared it with me personally, but Trivita said, well, we got we to share this with others. It's, it's what, a, what a neat testimony. So you know that God transformed my life a little over eight and a half years ago from a lifelong unhealthy eater, not a glutton, but a lifelong unhealthy eater who weighed as much as 275 pounds to a super healthy eating only, I mean radically healthy eating only for eight and a half years without exception, by God's grace, so 180, 185 pounds right in there, you know, and, and, and just thriving, loving it, being blessed. And for me, it's a gift from God that he intervened in my life so that I could be here for you, so I could run my race even better to glorify the Lord, so I could be here for Nancy and our kids and our, our grandkids, so, so I could be here to reach out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And hopefully as the years go on, you know, the more wisdom you have, the, the more knowledge you have, the more understanding you have, the, the more energy also. Wouldn't that be great to have energy to share it with others, right? So it's, it's just been a blessing, and I encourage you to... to For me, it was overnight, one radical step, because the back and forth, back and forth never worked over the years. And then God helped, God intervened. He did it. I take no credit. He did it. For you, it may be incremental. 
stop here, give up this, get rid of this, add this in, healthy. Anyway, so I, I do pretty intense workouts, right? And, you know, CrossFit-type workouts and other things and really push hard and can do well, do well with people who work out regular. I'm almost 68, but by God's grace, in good shape. The, the only thing at the beginning of the season, when it starts to get really hot, Nancy may be outside doing landscaping work or kind of grunt work just for hours, getting the garden ready and things. And I'll come out just to help, help out carry heavy things around. And if it's really hot, the first few days, it, I, I have to stop quick. It's like, hey, I, I just I feel a little faint. And then I get used to the heat, and then I'm great. So I'm doing these heavy workouts, but just when I'm in, in the intense heat, sometimes it gets to me a little bit, and I have to get used to it. And then once I'm acclimated, I'm great. Okay, so I'm over. I uh, finished the trip last week in Kona, Hawaii, the, the YWAM base there in Kona. And, and we were having meetings, basically three meetings a day. The final morning finished up, and then afternoon was free. So... They've got like a CrossFit-type gym. They've got this amazing campus, 100 acres there in Kona, just extraordinary. And a gorgeous setting. What, what a great place. And spiritual atmosphere is the best part about it of all. So they've got this outdoor gym, and there was a coach that was going to work with me, and another guy, uh, really fit, was going to work out. And Brandon, who was traveling with me, an executive assistant, he was, he was going to join in. He's in good shape. So I said, hey, give me a fitness test. Let's, let's give me a conditioning test. Now, the thing I didn't calculate was it was really humid. It was only like high, mid to high 70s, but it was really humid. So I knock out the whole workout. We went from a conditioning workout to a strength workout and pull-ups and different things incorporated. It was great. It wasn't, it wasn't bad at all. It was great. Kept up with the other guys. I mean, they were stronger, but, you know, we all did great. Finished it. and I, So we're just chatting. Guy says, okay, let's get up and do some stretches. And I think, you know, I, I feel a little funny. I think I just want to sit. And next thing I realized, oh, no, the humidity. I didn't, because I felt great doing the workout. I was fine, I'm totally fine. I felt afterwards that the coach thought that he didn't push me hard enough. He felt bad he didn't push me hard enough. So, but, you know, he, he doesn't know what shape I'm in or anything, right? So I, st I realized, okay, I don't feel well. Now, I've never thrown up during a workout or after. I've worked out with plenty of people who have thrown up, but that never happens. So I feel, okay, I feel a little sick to my stomach. Maybe it's the bathroom I could use. And, and um, so they showed me it over there and these porta potties. I thought, oh, it's like, I don't know. I can get. So I start walking. I realize I'm about to faint. So I sit down on the ground and the guy helps me over there. And then I'm, I'm fine, totally fine. Within seconds, absolutely, totally fine. I felt funny about it. I was a little embarrassed. Like, okay, it wasn't the workout. It was the humidity, and you weren't used to it. All right, so go forward a few days. I've hit some workouts since I've been home. So I did this really heavy workout in my garage. Got a home gym in my garage. And once again, I didn't calculate that it's getting warm right now. Outside was in the high 70s. And, and towards the end, I thought, okay. I'm, I'm pushing it now. It was a very heavy workout. I'm pushing it. I'm feeling it. However, however, before the workout, I used the two supplements that my buddy Rui was talking about. I used nitric oxide and myohealth, which is amino acids. And if you hit a really heavy workout, then the amino acids you take after to replenish you, 
I, I drank my glass of amino acids, mild health, and I was instantly normal. I was, it was instantly replenished. I thought, yeah, that's what I need next time I'm in Hawaii. And it's cold the rest of where I am, but I'm there in the middle of the heat and humidity. I hit a workout, just bring that with me. So anyway, I, it was just funny because it happened today. And I thought, yeah, I got to share that with you. So remember, there's a special number to get a free sample of nitric oxide to, and then order nitric oxide, Mile Health, get the free 10 Habits of Wellness book. So you can call this number, 800 800- 811-9628, 800-811-9628, and just say, hey, I'm interested in this, or what would you recommend? And remember, 100% of your first order, 100% goes to get the line of fire around the country. If it's easier, just go to Trivita.com and use the code BROWN25. But, yeah, I'm, I'm a living witness. I'm a living witness. These things are, are really excellent supplements, not substitutes for healthy living, right? Great supplements. So 800-811-9628, you can call or trevita.com. Use the code BROWN25. All right, let us take some calls, and then I'm going to go back to some more Old Testament texts about revival and a fun Hebrew Israelite update. Okay, we go to Kenneth in Tampa Bay, Florida. Welcome to the line of fire. Yeah, we met one time down at Teresh David. Uh, oh, you know, Kenneth, hang on one second. Don't go anywhere. I apologize. I'm going to get your call on the other side of the break. My profound apologies. We have shifted our clock a little, actually cut out one minute of advertising time, reduced one minute of advertising time during the show, but then we're ending slightly earlier, so we're about to expand onto new stations. We we changed the clock, so... Uh, I'm used to the old one. I would have had plenty of time to take your question. But, sir, I apologize for being rude. Stay right there. On the other side of the break, I'm going to go right back to calls. I'm going to look at a few more Old Testament texts about revival, give you that Hebrew-Israelite update. And, friends, God is moving, not just in the church around the world, not just stirring in the world. God's moving among the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We're seeing some beautiful, wonderful things taking place. Uh, groups being reached that could be so hard to reach. The Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit is, is reaching out and touching people. Be encouraged that the day will come, Zechariah 12.10, where God says that he will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Ruachin v'tachnunim, sometimes translated spirit of, of grace and supplication. They'll look to me whom they've pierced, and they'll mourn over him, the one that they pierced. This is going to be the mass recognition by the lost sheep of the house of Israel, that the one that they thought was the cause of their pain, the one that they thought was the cause of so much suffering, the one that they thought was a deceiver of the nation, was actually Mashiach, was actually Messiah, was actually Moshiach, the Savior, Goel, the Redeemer. Eyes will be opened, but before that day, many eyes will be opened as the Holy Spirit is poured out. So be encouraged. God is at work. We're looking to get more and more of our materials out in Hebrew. Many of our materials now are being disseminated in Hebrew orally, and verbally online. Good things are happening. We'll be right back.
It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Michael Brown here. All right, we go back to the phones officially now. Kenneth in Tampa Bay, Florida. Thanks for calling. All right, so we met at Shores David one time. Nice to talk to you. Yes, uh, talk to you also about my wife when she was going through cancer treatment. You prayed with me mm. at a, when she was in hospice and so forth. Mm. Anyway, uh, well, she was a long-time you know, person that worked with, uh, you know, sort of social worker coming out of college and uh, was uh, trying to help girls get the babies settled. And they didn't have abortion back in the 70s, uh, really. So the, she started doing adoptions all over the world. And oh, God bless her. And she was always for, always for anti-abortion, tried to get everybody elected that promised to end abortion. And obviously it never happened. Yeah, Still we keep, not happened. Yeah, well, I'm we, in we, Florida. We we keep working, we keep yeah. making efforts, but but yeah, your your wife left. Anyway, quite a I was just listening. Yeah, I was go just, ahead. I, I was just listening to a debate with you with a uh, rabbi mm-hmm. who came in at the last minute, like five years ago. Yep. And he just said he made a statement. I just don't believe that Jesus was resurrected. Mm-hmm. And a man came up, and I don't know if you remember this. He said that is as offensive to me as me telling you I just don't believe in the Holocaust. I don't just remember that debate. <laughs> yeah, well, well, let, yeah. Let me let me say this, Kenneth. Um, I would I would make a real exception between those two things. In in other words, a, a real distinction. I would I would make a distinction between those two statements, Kenneth. Uh, number number one, the Holocaust is something that happened in recent memory. There are survivors of the Holocaust who are alive today. We have massive documentation on every level, historical documentation, photo documentation, video documentation, oral testimonies and recorded documentation, uh, the population shift. I mean, just endless verification of the Holocaust. The Nazis kept meticulous records and on and on and on and on. Uh, So it's tremendously offensive to deny that because you're spitting in the face of evidence and doing something that ultimately is is very anti-Semitic because other things like that normally don't get denied. And there's hardly anything like that in terms of that scale that's happened in in recent memory. When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, obviously it's something we believe with all of our hearts and we feel absolutely sure is true. However, however, uh, it's 2,000 years ago. It's not like you have video testimony and you have you hear photographs of as it's you know a series of pictures as it's happening or there are people who are physically alive today who were there when it happened so yes i believe an overwhelmingly strong case can be made for the resurrection but when i came to faith i came to faith because jesus changed my life not because i had intellectual proof of a resurrection so, no, I, I don't find it offensive at all when someone doesn't believe in the resurrection. I don't find it offensive at all when they don't believe in God. I, f- I find it sad, uh, or I, I find it unfortunate, 
But no, I, I don't find that offensive. So I, I would definitely take exception to that. Hey, Kenneth, thank you for thank you for raising that. I appreciate it very much. Eight six six three four truth. Let's go over to Robert in Texas. Welcome to the line of fire. Yeah, <clears throat> Dr. Brown, I called in about a month and a half ago about Psalm 1962 and also Paul's uh, in Acts. It says at midnight he was in jail and they were singing praises to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And anyway, was that a typical midnight for Paul? Was he just being obedient to Psalm, one, uh, Psalm, uh, Psalm 1962? Right. So or, yeah, it's a great it's a great question. Number one, uh, we do not have record of a fixed tradition at that point that that religious Jews would get up at midnight and praise God. We don't have record of that. You know, we we know for sure that phylacteries were used to fill in the the prayer boxes on 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 the hand and on uh, on on the arm and on the head. You know, we know certain things. We know certain prayers seem to have been fixed at that time. We don't know that for sure, and it could well be that Acts is just giving us a picture at the deepest, darkest, ugliest time uh, in in the midst of a a dungeon after being severely flogged. They're praising God, and it's the middle of the night. However, it's possible that for Paul and others it was a tradition. That that's that that's what they did. It's it's possible, uh, and the fact he's singing hymns now they're adding in worship of Jesus to this and, and praising of the Lord to whatever they would have done as as Jews. To this day, there are some religious Jews going to sleep much earlier in the night who will get up at midnight to sing praises, or some will get up at midnight to recite lamentations over the destruction of the temple. But it's not a universal custom like getting up at a certain time each day, saying certain prayers in a certain order. So it's possible, but we don't have any proof of it. So it's, it's an interesting question, but we don't have proof where we can say for sure that was a practice or that's what Paul used to do. We simply don't know. Yeah. Is there any, any uh, evidence? How about Psalm 119, 164, uh, seven times a day I'll rise up. Is there any on that right some some jews have done that made it a habit to make sure that there are seven different times that that they specifically praise and bless god through the day however what has been mandated follows the example of daniel 6 where daniel prayed three times a day so a traditional jew will pray early in the morning and then uh, later in the afternoon and then early evening there will be three distinct prayer times in the day for a traditional Jewish person. So if, if you live in a traditional Jewish area, work stops at those times, and Jewish men at work will be praying together. Or if they're at the synagogue, they'll be praying together. Uh, if they're doing studies together, they take a break then and pray together. So that's been implemented. Of course, the traditional Jew, Robert, claims that, that Daniel was following Jewish tradition and Daniel 6 following an unwritten oral law. Logic tells you it's the exact opposite of that. The Jewish tradition based itself on Daniel's prayer habits. So some distinctly make sure that there's seven times in a day of praising God. Uh, but the custom is the three prayer times a day with multiple other prayers uh, legislated within that. Hey, thank you for the questions. Much appreciated. 866-34-TRUTH. 
Let's go to Michael in San Diego. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi. Uh, My question is about, was there a very clear and consensus uh, establishment about the uh, expectations of the coming Jewish Messiah? And what were some of the ones they got right and wrong? For example, Daniel 70 said there shall be 483 years until the Messiah will be cut off. And both of those things, they just did the math, should have been very clear, but they seem to completely admit that. Isaiah says that he'll be, uh, the Messiah will be called Mighty God. Isaiah 43 says, I am the Lord your King. But they didn't seem to get the connection that the Messiah would also be the Lord. Right. Uh, so so to, to, yeah, to answer, answer the question, Michael, uh, number one, at the time of Jesus, there were different Jewish expectations about the Messiah. We have them recorded in Dead Sea Scrolls. Some are reflected in the pseudepigraphical literature, literature written between Old and New Testament and attributed to different ancient authors. We have them as they develop in rabbinic literature written several hundred years later, but some of the traditions going back to that time. So there were expectations of a king who would rule and reign and who would liberate uh, Israel from her enemies. So certainly at the second coming, those things will be realized. There were expectations that there would be a, rule, a, a Davidic Messiah, a royal Messiah, and then an ironic Messiah, a priestly Messiah. There were expectations that and the priestly Messiah didn't have the emphasis on suffering, but just as, as much on doing priestly work uh, and, and carrying on the legacy of, of Aaron as another anointed leader. There were expectations of an end-time prophet. So you have some expectations of king and priest and prophet. Of course, Jesus fulfills them all in his own self. But things that we look at now and say we're so clear about a suffering Messiah were not as clear on the other side of the cross. There are scholars who believe that the Messiah, that there, there were ancient Jewish texts about a suffering Messiah, but those texts are greatly disputed. So we cannot say for certain that there is a Jewish expectation of a suffering Messiah. When it comes to Daniel's prophecy, it does seem very clear that God's plan of redemption in a very real way has, has to come to some fulfillment or culmination before the second temple was destroyed. But whether there's one Mashiach or two, Mashiach just means anointed one. You know, there's debate about that. It's, it's easy to see that Jewish people could have said, all right, there's a time frame, which is obviously culminating now when the temple's destroyed. They didn't know it was going to be destroyed. But once it's destroyed, they look back, right? They look back and realize, okay, this was a time frame when Messiah was supposed to come. There was a lot of expectation that Messiah was about to come in the Jewish world at that time. But there was not a clear understanding of his suffering, of his death, of his resurrection. When it happened, he then pointed back to the scriptures and said, look, look, it's written about me. And the disciples, oh, there it is. Like you say, Michael, it seems so clear in retrospect for sure. The traditions that developed over the centuries got locked in with several key things. Uh, Maimonides really articulated it, kind of laid it out in a codified way in, in the 12th century in his Mishnah Torah. But according to Maimonides, there are several key things that will help us recognize the Messiah. 
for example, regathering of the Jewish exiles, for example, rebuilding the temple, uh, destroying the wicked, bringing Israel into universal obedience to God, establishing peace on the earth, that the one who does these things will be recognized as Messiah. So many of things that Messiah will do on his return and his second coming are things that Jews expect that he will, that Messiah will do for the first time. And then there are traditions about Messiah, son of Joseph, who suffers and dies before the great, uh, in, in the great final war, and, and then followed by Messiah, son of David. Those are other Jewish traditions. Uh, what's interesting, though, is that the only one who can do part two and can set up his kingdom on the earth and destroy the wicked and regather the exiles and rebuild the temple, the only one who can do all those uh, is the same one who did part one because part one had to be completed before the destruction of the temple. All right, hey, Michael, thank you very much for the call. Check out my website, realmessiah.com. If you've got the Ask Dr. Brown app, ASKDR Brown Ministries app, if you don't have it, download it now. Ask Dr. Brown Ministries, ASKDR Brown Ministries. Download the app and just scroll down to Real Messiah. When you scroll down to Real Messiah, check it out. It's all Jewish outreach, debates you can watch, answers to lots of questions. Or just go to realmessiah.com. All right, we'll be right back, tell you a funny story, and then some more scripture. Stay right here. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. So, friends, I've got a debate scheduled in London. We still haven't locked in the location. The organizers there, the Muslim organizers are working on it for March 20th. So, conference with chosen people, God willing, March 18th in London. March 19th in Manchester, then the debate is Muhammad prophesied in the Bible for Monday, March 20th in the evening. So as soon as we have details, location, all our friends in UK will let you know. And then, of course, you'll be able to watch live stream online. That's the plan. So even though to me the subject is, is so obvious that the answer is no, he's not prophesied in the Hebrew Bible, unless you say he's among false prophets that are mentioned, um, I still prepare very, very seriously. In the same way, de debating a leader in, in Sakari Hebrew Israelites, the whole idea that this 12-tribe chart is accurate and shows that where the different 12 tribes are around the world, to me, is, is utterly, absolutely ridiculous. Nonetheless, I prepare seriously, and, and I'm sure uh, both opponents will be seriously prepared. So I, I want to glorify the Lord. I want to help people see the truth. I know always that there are so people so locked into what they believe that they're unable to hear anything to the contrary. It can happen to anyone. You're part of a cult, you're a group, you're, you're so in it, so indoctrinated that you literally can't hear what others are saying and you will mishear what they're saying. I've actually sat with people and quoted scripture to them, some in Hebrew, sometimes in English, but they've learned it a certain way that they're, they're, they'll quote it back to me wrongly. It's like, no, no, look, They'll divide the words differently. It's like, wow, you actually can't see this. And then when they finally see it, they get angry at me and walk away. So 
a colleague sent me a link to look at, and it's a gentleman had called in, a Hebrews delight leader had called in and asked me some questions. This was a casual conversation. I'm trying to win a debate, just answering his questions, going back and forth a little bit. And he posted that on his website. So someone just wanted me to look at the comments, which I normally don't do or have time to do. But I thought, you gotta be kidding me. That's wild. You know, you could hear fear in Brown's voice at this point. I thought, what are you, are you serious? You know, I was being friendly with the caller, just interacting with him in a friendly way. But there's, there's not a stitch of anything that was raised that presents any issue or problem or anything like that. It's, it's almost like, you know, you're having a birthday party for your kid and everyone's laughing. It's like you could see how depressed they were there. It's like, wow, how could people misread things that deeply? But it just burdens me all the more to pray for hearts to open. And look, if you're some racist and you believe black Americans are inferior human beings, that the kindest, most compassionate, most articulate, most learned, most gifted black American can talk to you, and you think, man, that, that person is trash. Conversely, you could be a racist that, that so hates whites, or, or what's the Hebrews like, you Edomite devil. Oh, by the way, I can easily demolish the idea that, that, that Edom was white, okay? Uh, that he was allegedly white in the father of the white devils, whatever. It was, I mean, it's, it's easy, but that's, that's, that's a whole other subject. But anyway, you can look at me. You have such hatred that I could, I could say two plus two is four, and a Hebrew Israelite could say two plus two is 11, and they'll say, look, look at that. You, sma you smashed that white devil. So racism is blinding. Racism is blinding. You could be an anti-Semite. You could be a Jew who hates Asians or whatever it is. You could be a misogynist that looks down at women. And, and this stuff so pollutes our thinking that we're literally unable to think clearly. And you'll watch this and say, oh, man, Brown's really trembling in his boots. Like, wow, wow. That's just mind-boggling. So when I see this, I don't get mad at people. I feel bad for them. I feel terrible for them. And then I think, all right, Lord, how can I help them? What can I bring? How can the truth be presented clearly enough that it'll open even their eyes? Obviously, if I can open their eyes, I can open the eyes of someone in the middle, someone searching, someone questioning. But how can I get to the real hardcore? That's always a goal for me. The hardcore ones that, that are so entrenched, is there some seed of doubt that can be planted because they're not on the side of truth? Some, something that can be said that'll open their heart and their mind. That's the goal. So pray that a spirit of truth will prevail. So that debate scheduled for Thursday night, March 23rd, hosted by Berean TV YouTube channel. And starting, I don't know, somewhere 7.30, 8 in the evening, something like that, 7.30 or 8 in the evening. We'll, we'll have details for you. A couple more scriptures on revival in the Old Testament before we're done here today. Let's go over to Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter... 3 and verse 2. It's, it's a classic revival verse. It's one of the most famous verses. Uh, it starts off Charles Finney's lectures on the revivals of religion. You find it there right at the beginning. So he, he says, Adonai, Shemati Shimacha. Literally, Lord, I've, I've heard the report about you. I've, I've, I've heard about your fame. I've heard about your renown. It was, it was I heard about what you did in the past. The great things you did in the past, but they're not happening today. That, so revival is needed 
when you're always talking about what God did in the past, what God did in the past, because it's not happening in the same way today. Lord, I, I stand in awe of your work. I, literally, I, I fear your work. The things you've done are, are awesome. I stand in awe of your work, of your deeds. And then it's this prayer, it, literally in the midst of the years, bring them back to life. Renew them in these years. King James, revive them in the midst of the years. Um, and, and, and then it says, uh, So make them known in the midst of the years. So in a time of wrath, remember mercy. This is a great revival text because, number one, it says the great things God did in the past, but they're not happening today. Why not today? Why not our age? Why is it, read about the Welsh revival here, the first great awakening there, what God's doing in China, what God's doing in Africa. What about here? What about now? That's a great prayer of revival. And it's something that is often birthed revival because, Lord, we keep hearing about the past, but what about now? People are dying without you today. For those that don't know, my, my newest book, we're, we're, we're sending out copies. We've got a few more to sign and send out. Why so many Christians have left the faith? The whole deconstruction movement. People are getting pulled away. People are getting plucked off. People are, people are falling away left and right. And, and why? And, and, well, they weren't really saved. Well, we, maybe we'll talk about that more next week. Does everyone who leave, can we say they weren't really saved? But the fact of the matter is, People are falling away. People, a whole generation is gone, and many of them have never encountered God for themselves. Never encountered God. So, and that's in the book too, the need to encounter God afresh. So Lord, we heard about what you did in the past. We stand in all of your deeds. In the midst of the years, revive it, bring it back, do it again, make it alive again. Don't let it be something we just talk about. Every generation in Israel, every generation in the church must have its own encounter with God. And, and then make him known these years. And even though in the midst of wrath and anger, remember mercy. Revival comes when things are very intense. Revival comes when things are very difficult. Revival comes when things are very dark. And it is in a time like that, God's spirit is poured out. Isn't that the state of America today? Isn't this the perfect time? for God to be moving as he is all over the nation. Just talked to a, to a dear colleague, I've, I've been a, a helping mentor in his life, but a solid, mature man of God with a steady move taking place in his church and really revival fire spreading from there. It's happening all over America. It's happening in different parts of the world. Of course, different parts of the world has been happening for years. Lord, why not here? Why not now? Your church, your family, your community, Lord, why not here? Why not now? Revive your work in the midst of your years. And in Psalm 85, the, the psalmist goes back through history and Lord, you, you, were, you favored us, you were kind, you were gracious, you forgave our sins, but we're in a mess again. We're in a mess again, God. We have mercy again. Psalm 85, verse six, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Yes, yes. That, that's, that's the heart and soul of revival. God comes 
and restoration, forgiveness, the joy comes back. Hey, friends, one thing I love about signing and sending out our new books, I don't receive a dime. I don't get a dime of royalties. Everything that comes in goes straight to our ministry outreach to help us reach more and more people. So this is like a collector's item. So you're giving an extra donation to get it. It's, it's our gift to you to say thank you. And then we're getting the message of the book out. You're helping spread the message of the line of fire. So to order your signed numbered copy, we're still sending these out. Call 800-538-5275. 800-538-5275. One more time. 800-538-5ASK. And get as many copies as you want. We'll sign them to as many people as you want. Our joy to send these out. The book releases to the general public March 7th, so you'll still get these in advance of that. And again, every dime that comes in goes right back to our ministry outreach. So thanks for standing with us. Thanks for your participation. Thanks for helping reach the lost sheep of the House of Israel together. You can also go to our website, askdrbrown, askdrbrown.org, and just click on Shop, and you'll see the special order for the signed, numbered, pre-ordered, copies. In fact, as soon as the show's over, I'm going back over to my desk to sign a few more. Oh, and we posted on Instagram, Dr. Michael Brown on Instagram, Dr. Michael Brown on Instagram. We put a lot of fun videos up there. My pre-book signing hand and wrist and forearm workout just to have a little fun there. So those are posted for you. And friends, be encouraged. No matter what is going on in your life, be encouraged. In God's presence is fullness of joy. He can put joy and faith and hope in your heart, even when all is dark. And I'm here to help infuse your friends, faith and truth and courage. Come on, let's do it. Let's glorify God together.